We're going to the movies. Do you think we should? It's howdy duty of a wooden dick. Zorba the Greek. Seen it, but we'd see it again. It's a mad, mad, mad world. No kidding. Send me no flowers. No. The guns of August. I hate guns and I hate August. The umbrellas of Sherbag. Catherine Deneuve. Apparently, it's for all the young lovers of the world. What if I don't want help? Did you ever consider that? Google, fuck you. <laughs> How was your day? You doing good? I'm doing okay. Emily's driving to Corvallis right now for a wedding. Mm-hmm. I've been in meetings since 8 in the morning. And my cat woke me up at 5.30 a.m. So I am sweepy. <laughs> yeah, man. I I actually am... I'm behaving like a freak and I'm drinking my first coffee of the day right now because my coffee did not arrive. Uh, I, I, I use like one of those coffee delivery services and I okay. ran out of coffee and it, I only showed up this afternoon and I was like dead tired at like four o'clock. I was like ready to go to bed. Uh, <laughs> and so I needed something to get into talkable shape what it'll do to me for the rest of the evening well we'll just cross that bridge when we get there this will be interesting (laughs) because you're you're getting sped up and i am like my adderall is dropping out of my bloodstream right now and that's a problem because i feel like you're the you're the one who's like really driving the bus on this one (laughs) not to say that i i don't have uh, things to offer to the conversation just i i know that i'm the interloper the newcomer the newbie for this this particular world whatever i saw your letterboxd review i think it's a very good i think it's a good letterboxd review (laughs) oh man oh my goodness what what if i okay i'm just gonna start we're in it let's we're in it okay here's here's what i just want to say ian do you remember did you watch e-entertainment e-entertainment e e exclamation point was that on cable or was that uh it was cable but it was like the lower numbers of cable like it was like trashy cable before like trash was all cable gotcha right yeah i growing up i did not have cable my parents were like one step away from not having a TV at all. Like if there wasn't PBS, there probably wouldn't be a TV. If there wasn't PBS and there weren't Mets games on television, there wouldn't have been a TV in my house. (laughs) Sure. Okay. I'm sorry. You've, you've told me this before. Okay. I will commit that to memory, but here's, here's, I say that and then it won't happen, but um, (laughs) here's, here's the reason why I say that. Okay. Is because E entertainment used to have a talk show called fittingly talk soup. Okay. Today we're we're doing turtle soup. Turtle soup. 
Yeah, yeah, we are. Yes, we are. Joseph, Joseph finally won. He finally made me watch a Gamera movie. Cue Gamera sound effect. And I enjoyed it. I knew you would. There you go. I told you you would. Two thirds of the Patreon episodes so far are thing Joseph told Ian that he will enjoy, and Ian did enjoy it. So. <laughs> well, there's two more after this. Good. Fortunately, they all have that like really great like the new cover art that they did. Like this is like the least pertinent thing to talk about about this movie, but they just so it's available on Prime now as we're recording this because they just recently finally released them on Blu-ray in the United States. By recently, mm-hmm. I mean a year and a half ago. Sure. So with delay times for shipping, you're probably getting your copy now. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> and and they they like did all these like those cool illustrations with the monsters on yeah. it. It's so yeah. neat. Oh my God. I, I was had when, you know, when we decided we were going to do this, I went on Letterboxd, added all three of them to my my watch list. And of course, it's like you just search Gamera and like a gazillion movies come up, 12 movies or, or so. But it's like, well, which ones do why? Oh, the ones with the really cool box art. Cool. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Dope. Correct. It's funny because Arrow also released the old ones mm-hmm. also with new art, but it's like they are not able to make the Showa monsters look neat. You can't do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, Harder to work with. So yeah, I'm I'm really curious because I before you started gabbering about Gamera, I had never never heard of this guy before. And I I would love to know like how you got introduced to this particular kaiju and sort of like because I'm I'm coming in like very blind. You know, sure. I've seen some Godzilla movies and that's that's about it. Sure. This seems like a deeper cut kind of across the board. Yeah, this is I'm trying to think of what is a good way to like to like put this like this is like if you're a hip hop fan and you get into all the like when you get into big pun and you realize big pun is like probably a better rapper than Jay-Z. Yeah, sure. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. big, big pun is n- not fucking Beyonce doesn't, d- d- isn't doesn't alive. have, isn't alive, <laughs> never did a crazy in love. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, this is, that is the level of like Japanese movie nerddom where Gamera sits. Right. So I've always been into kaiju movies. I was probably into like big monster movies before I was into anime. And then probably mm-hmm. like a big part of me getting into cartoons that I liked, like, like this when I was a kid was, Oh, has big monster. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Has big lizard make city go boom. Right. Thing. I still love. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you run out of Godzilla movies because you can. Right. And from my understanding, Godzilla also kind of runs out of steam for a while, too. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of them, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure not all of them are good, is what it's, I'm saying. It's true. It's it's very true. It's okay. So we're all right, we're going to get into it. Okay. I, but I, we need to talk about the movie, but let's get, like, yeah. I'll get into like the background, right? Okay. So you run out of Godzilla movies, and you can watch the Gamera movies. And the Gamera movies have this, like, 
very weird reputation. At least the the Showa ones do. So Showa mm-hmm. is the ones from the 60s, right? Right. There was Godzilla was a big commercial hit in the 60s. And so like all the Japanese movie studios kind of tried to do like a Godzilla clone, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of how like after Star Wars comes out, everyone suddenly is, you know, getting all their laser guns and movies and stuff. And you get your uh, moon. What, God, what was that? Goddamn moon. 1999 Moonraker. Moonraker. Yeah. You get right. your Moonrakers. So this, this is like some, a different company's Moonraker for Godzilla. Totally. Yeah. Actually, you know what? You've stumbled on an even better analogy than big pun. Okay. Godzilla's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gamera's Battlestar Galactica. Cool. Oh, I actually, I see exactly where you're going with that comparison mm-hmm. too. Cool. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the original Gamera today. We're not. We're talking about nineties Gamera, which is okay. So here we go. So mm-hmm. Daye is the studio that, that does the Gamera movies. And having seen all of them, my opinion is the first one is okay. Okay. To like kind of good, like mm-hmm. weirdly good for a movie about a, fire breathing flying turtle how they stumbled on this idea is is frankly fucking beyond me (laughs) and then very quickly those movies from the 60s and early 70s slide into a into a into a a bubbling pool of what the fuck were they doing they're way more kid-friendly than godzilla movies like mm-hmm. way more kid focused. Like Gamera's nickname was the friend to all children. Cool. Uh, that's that's useful information for the tone of Gamera uh-huh. Garden of the Universe. Guardian of the Universe. Well. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's where he is in the sixties. But the weird thing about those movies is they're ultra violent. <laughs> they're 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 incredibly fucking violent. Like. Monsters getting their limbs ripped off, evil dead levels of like we put Kool-Aid into a fire hose and we're spraying it at the guy in a suit through a hole in the other suit. Right? <laughs> that's that's the vibe. Is it's like four kindergartners, but deranged. Sure. Yeah, yeah. This I like that this kind of loops back around to the Shonen episode, the thing that like I don't know. When I was a kid, I wanted to see insane cartoonish violence too. So makes sense. Right. I guess it, I guess it does. And for whatever reason, it, it flew like a turtle, mm-hmm. like a flying, like a turtle that flies like a flying saucer until it did not, until it did not fly. And then it yeah. fucking crashed. And the Godzilla series continued for like another, like six years. It also crashed. The whole mm-hmm. Japanese film industry crashed actually. Right. Um, although it's worth noting that Gamera is, I think, like basically the only Godzilla clone that gets a sequel. Like it is the only successful franchise with mm-hmm. one exception, which we'll get into. OK, so all of the Japanese film industry crashes in the late 70s, early 80s. It, it's abysmal. And in the late 80s, Godzilla gets a reboot. The reboot does OK. And they is this con- the particularly Cold War focused one that you mm-hmm. and the, the Kaiju transmission guys were talking about? Yep. Godzilla Returns. Go- Godzilla 1984 mm-hmm. is what it's 1985 in America is what they call it. And then it, it takes it, it takes a while because it because it isn't a hit in the US, but it, it does well in Japan. And Godzilla gets the Heisei series in the 90s. Uh-huh. And the thing about the Heisei series is like. 
trying to think of what's the vibe. They're like weirdly self-serious. But none of the films have like a coherent plot. Like uh-huh. they find themselves curiously unable to tell a story hmm. a- at all. Hmm. Like from like a narrative level, they're all basically fucking unwatchable. But the monster designs are really, really, really cool. Like the practical effects of it. It's the eighties. It's the golden age of practical effects. So the practical effects look amazing, but they make this weird, curious choice where like the suits are so ornate that they basically can't move. Yeah. yeah, These are like the best looking these monsters have ever been as suits, but like the least fun to watch. Right, they're kind of static images, almost more like statues than... Right, they just sort of like rock side to side as like the literal like Olympic athlete inside is using every muscle of his body to move Godzilla's foot a fucking inch. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's really... And because they can't move, they all the fights are them shooting lasers with just like ridiculous amounts of explosives going off. So like Mm -hmm. you watch them and multiple times you think the men in these suits are going to die. Like (laughs) from like heat. Yeah. 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 From shrapnel. And actually like (laughs) if in some of these movies, like you can see like the suit caught on fire and there's a quick cut. They're like, that's when they had to like use halon gas to get the guy out. Oh my God. (laughs) Crazy that this happened. Right. Um, the last one is good. That series is like bad, but then it gets good at the end. Like the last where Godzilla dies is like weirdly fittingly. Like it's very sad, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it's more fun. It's kind of unhinged. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So here's, here's what happens. Daae knows the Godzilla moves are back and they want to get, the Gamera series back. They mm-hmm. try to get the original team from the sixties back and they hate the fucking script. Cause it's more of the same. It's more kids stuff. It's more super PG. And they're like, we're trying to like kill someone with fireworks. <laughs> do better. Can right, you do right. better? And like, they can't basically. Okay. So enter a funny little director named Shusuke. Kaneko. He's got a weird, he is like this guy. I think I said this in the Shin Godzilla episode, but it's off the cuff, right? Um, this guy should be up there with Takahashi Mike and Kiyoshi Kurosawa in the like Japanese new wave of horror gods. Mm-hmm. But he's not like an edge lord like Takahashi Mike, and he's not an academic like pinky out guy like Kiyoshi Kurosawa. He's just mm-hmm. like a dude who makes movies. That's his whole fucking vibe is he's like, I'm just a dude. I just want to make a good movie. Right. This is my job. Right. He actually starts making softcore porn. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's work for hire for sure. You know, absolutely. These things called Roman pornos. I've never seen. It's like, it's like, um, it's like my understanding is it's like, um, Porkies, but there's boning, but you don't see any penetration. Okay. This guy doesn't give a fuck about it either. Um, yeah. But weirdly, he's he's really good with directing actors. So mm-hmm. he 
gets an award for one of these <laughs> softcore porn movies and then gets to make um real movies and he right. makes some dramas and he makes some some spoopy movies. He likes horror. He's a spoopy mm-hmm. boy. Um and somehow this is so fucking weird. So do you know who Brian Usna is? Uh, sounds familiar, but no, I don't think so. Okay. So Brian Usna is like a B list John Carpenter type dude from the eighties. Uh, okay. But his whole thing is he, he made really good practical effects horror movies in the United States. Mm -hmm. I think the big one is from beyond if only because it's got honestly one of the sexiest shots in a movie that's, that's ever happened. Barbara Crampton in the eighties in the dominatrix outfit is like, something um and i don't usually say that about movies right but like like you watch from beyond and it's like wow what the fuck Mm -hmm. and also the monster effects are that good so in the early 90s brian usna makes a horror anthology movie that weirdly enough the third director of one of these shorts is shusuke kaneko okay it's a, it's called Necronomicon. It's all Lovecraft stories. I've never seen it. Mm. I don't know how you can, I don't think Amazon has it last time I checked. I don't know how you can fucking watch it, but I guess Kaneko's section is good. And this gives him some fucking heat in Japan. Mm-hmm. I am bogarting this episode so much. So like, please no, feel no, no, free to cut it this is interesting. Okay. Cool. We're, so once we get past all the, this is why you're, you're essential here. Cause otherwise I, this, I'm just like, <laughs> This story is fucking wild. So the guy who writes Kaneko's script in that short, in that short part of the movie is Kazunori Ito. He worked with Kazunori Ito in anime on Yurisei Yatsura. These are all sounding very familiar. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So Yurisei Yatsura is Rumiko Takahashi and it's directed by Mamoru Oshii. Yes. Right. It's okay. Guy accidentally proposes to an alien hijinks ensue. It's somehow much artier than it deserves to be. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's its whole fucking vibe. Right. Kazunori Ito is one of the main script writers. Kaneko comes in to punch up a couple scripts because he's just a guy who will do anything. And him and Ito hit it off. They're like buds. They're like drinking buds. Right. And so he needs to write a Japanese language script for this movie. He taps Ito. He's like, hey, do this with me. It goes well. That movie does well enough that Daye calls him in for a meeting. They call him. He doesn't mm-hmm. call them. They gotcha. call him and they're like, hey, everything you do is like weirdly well acted. You're good with effects and everything's under budget mm-hmm. and on time, which is yeah. like the golden zone. Right. right. A professional who also does a good job, you know, like right. makes a good quality product as well. Is not was what I mean. Exactly. So they're like, want to do a monster movie for us and kaneko does not want to do gamera uh-huh he wants because of to the do, reputation i'm assuming we'll get to it uh-huh. he's a he's a big godzilla guy but he wants to do a daimajin movie okay so daie also had this series in the 60s that was like daimajin is a kaiju but it's not they're not kaiju movies daimajin okay. is a giant samurai rock with an oni mask he's a golem right 
Oh, this sounds familiar. I feel like I've seen this image. This is like in the 80s or? Uh, this is later than Gamera. I think don't hate me, Kaiju Transmission guys. I'm pulling this all out of my head. This is a <sighs> lot of deep knowledge, right? I've seen the Daimajin movies. They're really cool. They're more like Qui-Don, right? Like they're they're more Criterion-y. Mm, okay, okay. Especially because it's like high drama and like swords and sorcery but samurai movies mostly and then usually like at the end daimajin cuts a castle in half with his sword and it's like uh-huh. oh the folly of man so they're like very classy kaiju movies basically is what you're saying where they they save the kaiju thing for like a single gesture rather than mostly yeah, uh-huh, okay. but they're weirdly, yeah, I think they are the most in westernized classy a kaiju movie could possibly be, except the first Godzilla movie, which is like literally high art. Yeah, it, that, it stands kind of outside of this whole thing, just by nature of it being the first of its kind. And yeah, it's, it's a whole other ballgame, you know, the politics of it. Yeah, 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 all of it. So he wants to do a Daimajin movie and Dai is like, fuck no. Period pieces are really goddamn expensive. No, we have no fucking money. No. But will you do a Gamera movie? And Kaneko, by all accounts, like sits there and he's like, fuck, do I have to? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, you kind of have to. You want this check? Right. Make a Gamera movie that works. He goes out drinking with Kazunori Ito and he's like, this will not work. It's a goddamn flying turtle. Yeah. <laughs> None of this. This is dumb. Like these movies are bad. None of this will like, they were fun when I was a kid, but like, I can't fucking do this. And Kazunori Ito is like, you absolutely fucking can. I'm going to write it. And I know the people you need to talk to. Mm. And Kazunori Ito sets him up with Shinji Higuchi and the Evangelion team. What? Who've just finished doing Evangelion, but it's not all the way out yet. Wow. Interesting. Right. <laughs> right. right. And Kazunori Ito has just written Ghost in the Shell. So this, yeah, this is, it seems, you know, obviously there's, there's genre similarities. There's kaiju stuff in anime, but like this, this may have seemed like a weird choice to do a live action film. For, it, for an anime podcast but clearly it's like it's the same scene it's the same group of people that we've been talking about for these last two seasons so absolutely it is wow. this is them doing this is them doing their live action like big break not hideki Anno, but like mm-hmm. almost everybody else specifically like shinji higuchi is like yeah the guy they bring in as the pinch hitter to be their effects guy and he storyboards most of the movie Mm -hmm. by the way he gets the job like a day before the press release so he just like goes on uh like goes on the press he's like yeah we're gonna do a lot of like stuff in the air and computer graphics (laughs) i guess (laughs) why the fuck not right and they just rush into production and they make this movie and their whole vibe is like go dark like make it as dark as we possibly fucking can mm-hmm. and put as much anime bullshit in it as we possibly fucking can because like that's what's hot that's what's yeah. edgy yes and they and they do and they make this for like half the budget of a Heisei Godzilla movie by the way today the budget for this movie 8 million dollars wow 
that's like first feature film out of college kind of budget. Like why the fuck hasn't like anyone at Netflix just like thrown someone like hasn't anyone talked to Netflix be like for $8 million, I'll make you a fucking like OG man in suit fucking Kaiju movie. Clearly it can be done. You know, it's apparently not that expensive. If you're Shike Kaneko and Shinji Higuchi and Kazunori Ito, Ito, and you're like right. working for peanuts and killing yourselves. Yeah. The trick is, a- can you, can you do this like Oakland A's style? Like, can you, actually get the talent on that budget to make a movie as good as this movie for that right. budget, you know? And here's where I think, here's where I think your, your letterbox review, Ian is perfect. <laughs> wow. Gamer is a cool guy. Right. <laughs> Nothing will prepare you for, to see the turtle flying. Yeah. <laughs> what on earth is going on? Because like, try as they might to be like serious and like, and, and like twist the knife and like grim dark and also like weirdly like super environmentally conscious yeah and, and also have this like tight hollywood tight weirdly perfect script mm-hmm. they cannot escape the just pure bizarre bullshit of the premise that they are stuck <laughs> with <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 beautiful that they don't even try to justify it or explain it, that it's just like, well, look, it's a turtle that can turn itself into a discus and throw itself across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> it shoots exhaust out of its butt and it soars into the heavens. <laughs> like <laughs> It's ridiculous. It is like the most ridiculous, like it is the most ridiculous shit yeah but it kind of fucking works well i think the sheer surprise of it like there are like multiple moments of increasing like oh i'm hooked with this movie so i i think with a lot of genre movies like i think this is i noticed this both with like zombie movies and uh kaiju movies my favorite parts the parts that get me the most psyched is like the early droplets of the thunderstorm yet to come at the beginning yeah you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Train to Busan, I like the whole movie, really fun movie. But my favorite part is like, oh, the zombie apocalypse hasn't quite kicked in yet. And you're only seeing it kind of on the margins, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and similar thing with this. I love the the kaiju like early sightings before anyone can make sense of what is actually what they're seeing or what's going on. It builds so much like enjoyable tension because you know that that giant rock in the ocean is clearly gamera but they don't yet and that's fun (laughs) it's fun and and like it's a fucking it's a fucking horror movie for the first like until you get your full gamera it's not Mm -hmm. like a kaiju movie it's a horror movie and like the gauss are pretty fucking scary yeah yeah, like they do a really good job of showing that they're not very big early on, but they're exactly big enough to cause extreme problems for all life on Earth. Yeah. You know? I think about this all the time with like, you know, because now that I've got a cat living with me, I'm like, if you were literally just twice the size that you were, like, this would be very inconvenient for all of us. You know, or I remember seeing someone tweet, like, imagine the world if bugs were just twice as big. Yeah, no, that would be really bad, <laughs> right? Because the guys are kind of like cats; they're they're like mean bat cats, yeah. <laughs> that have like laser breath. 
like supersonic laser breath. It was it was hard to yeah. tell exactly what the they were doing, but all, all which is to say, what I was what I was trying to get to is the buildup of you know you build to this first big action sequence at the baseball stadium, and then you know things go haywire and just when you think like you understand what's going on sort of suddenly this turtle is spinning spinning twirling twirling ever towards the future out of the screen and then you're like oh i actually don't know what movie i'm watching at all this is crazy right (laughs) it's so fucking weird and that the gauss are like their first fucking flex like the monsters have a lot of personality in this movie which like Mm -hmm. the godzilla movies at this time are not the best at and even like i like shin godzilla but like godzilla does not have like thoughts yeah his lack of personality is kind of the the key part of his personality the weird dead-eyed animalness of shin godzilla uh mm-hmm. very different very different than than gamera and the the gaios in this movie where they, right. they do seem to have like i mean gamera obviously has like it takes actions on behalf of others other than himself, like he has empathy and compassion to some extent, Mm -hmm. but also just the sort of like bug eyed anger that he has is really funny. Cause it's just like, yo, he hates these birds (laughs) so much. (laughs) Literally his like only purpose in life is to kill these fucking birds. (laughs) And And he's he's charged up to do it. (laughs) He's literally been waiting thousands of years just to do this but he's doing it to protect people but the people keep stopping him from doing it and you can tell that that just kind of like fucks him up even more he's like what are you doing why are you defending the laser bird like it eats you the first thing it does like the second thing that happens in the fucking movie is a gauss eats a dude one of the main characters is that dude's friend and mm-hmm. then it shits his glasses out. Right, right. One of the things that struck me uh, and I was surprised by with this movie is how much the I think the fact that Shin Godzilla is like kind of my closest point of reference sure. uh, is useful because this movie actually does a lot of the stuff that Shin Godzilla does first. Like mm-hmm. the government operating on faulty information will make bad choices and by not listening to people who are having direct experience you know on the ground the people in charge are unaware of what's actually going on and incompetent as a result yeah or if not like weirdly enough the standout character is like later watching this movie for me like the thing that keeps standing out to me is the fucking like senator i forget his Mm -hmm. name but he's just senator dickbag (laughs) who's like who's like into the gauss he's like i'm into these like giant man-eating birds like isn't it neat that these things exist and we have them kill the thing that's trying to kill the things that just eat people and get bigger right (laughs) yeah the absolute disrespect towards gamera from the humans is just it but it makes his like his journey to do, continue to do the right thing all the more compelling right like right. he's a he's a very good like like superman analogy where like he's trying to do something for people that do not love him back you know right there's well i don't know let's not go too far with like the christ allegory stuff i, w- I don't necessarily want to put gamera on the cross quite yet but there's just, just tiny shades of that kind of thing you know like that I, I think, think that's in there. He gets him stuck more through the hand. He gets yeah. like 
okay mm-hmm. the like in 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 fairness shading for like the next two like the amount of weird jesus stuff that goes into gamera does increase good um, well, it makes sense that the evangelion guys were involved right <laughs> right They're like environmentalism and uh religion weird right. ancient texts mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, another thing I was not expecting was that uh, Gamera is Italian, right? <laughs> Atlantis. Well, he's from the like the Etruscan. Is that it? The Etruscan alphabet is what the right like on the the weird instruction manual that's attached to his back. <laughs> why would why would the ancient Atlanteans that made Gamera leave instructions that self destruct? <laughs> not good design well they were clearly just throwing stuff at the wall because like why would you create a turtle that flies like why would you make a rock that flings itself through the air like wh- what was the design process for camera in atlantis <laughs> well i think they're all just at that point in time they're all just getting eaten by gauss constantly right. so they're like i just what do you have that will work <laughs> Like, just make it. Make it very quickly. And then, I don't know, make it float? Mm-hmm. Well, clearly some air support is needed, you know, like, because otherwise it's like, how is this turtle going to fight birds? Like, this this doesn't seem like it's going to, it'll just be a bunch of birds swooping down over and over again, and that's not a fun fight scene. But instead, yeah, you give some jetpacks jet into the butt of that turtle, and uh, the whole game changes. <laughs> right. And it needs armor. It's like how oh, we gave it like cutting laser breath. I put some fucking armor on the thing then, I guess. Yeah, man. Like it, Gamera is metatextually looking at it. Obviously, he's he's not as popular as Godzilla. So it was kind of interesting for me to watch it and think like, oh, when you can't call Godzilla, this is the guy you get like. You know, he's not he's it's it's not the Yankees. It's the Mets like <laughs> here's Gamera. But that's sort of his charm is that he's like kind of bumbling and goofy by comparison, like right. Not aerodynamic and sort of weird looking and doesn't really make sense. But hey, he gets the job done and kids like him, you know, but also like kind of OP. Like that's the other thing is like he's like I, my power set is really good. Yeah. All the bases are covered, you know, can shoot fireballs is made of armor basically and can fly into the atmosphere. So, mm-hmm. and carries a fucking switchblade. Like he's from the streets. <laughs> that is like a weird, the weirdest little reveal in that last fight. It's like foot, elbow knife. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> but, and also interestingly, I think like the other, the thing that struck me as like anime bullshit. And I was curious about what the chicken and egg thing was his, his connection to the child. And the sort of psychic connection to the teenage girl, which is like uh, almost like hilariously an American's idea of something that would happen in a Japanese movie. It's like, oh, there's a giant monster and has like spiritual connection with teenage girl, you know? Right. Well, weirdly, I think it works. I think it's like because obviously like the tough part about any of these monster movies is like you need to have like an emote if the if the if the only monster isn't a bad guy. There needs to be some sort of emotional connection between the humans and the monsters, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, it's unrelatable, right? Yeah. And I think Evangelion did it first in a much more like Freudian, literal, like convoluted, twisted, I'd say intelligent way. 
Yeah. But if you've got a 90 minute, 90 minutes to do a monster movie, I think it's just like psychic jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, I love it. I think it's a really good choice because I think along that issue is like, how do you make the human plot both related to the monster conflict and also interesting within itself is pretty much all there's so many diet, like opposing interests in the group of humans, you know, like Mm -hmm. the fact that at first, you know, the ornithologists and the government are trying to capture the Gaios. Then they sort of split to two lines where as you learn more as like this sort of counterforce basically learns more and more about, about Gamera, they have their own motivations against the prevailing superstructure of the government and then to have it literally kind of localized in the conflict between the father and the the daughter who has this you know n- like psychic connection to to Gamera and is hurt when Gamera is hurt adds just another layer of stakes that feels way different than instead of trying to escalate like bigger and bigger and bigger conflicts you actually shrink the drama back down to the human and that was like the final level the movie needed to get in to get the drama into its highest stakes at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I thought that was really well done. I'm glad you enjoyed that. It is because it is God. This movie's so good. And it's such like a hard fucking sell to anyone with a working brain. <laughs> yeah. You do kind of have to be like down for what it is. But it does all of the things that these types of movies do, like, just so beautifully. And the effects are so good. Right. Poof. The, like, the, the most indelible shot to me is after, you know, the, to, like, the Japanese self-defense force has accidentally destroyed the Tokyo Tower. Oops. Uh, like, the guy who's just landing on it and sitting there as the sun sets. It's just like, whoa, dude. What a, what a good shot. It's like, thanks. I'm going to make some eggs on this now. Yeah. And then I'm going to kill you mm-hmm. and feed you to my fucking babies. <laughs> you stupid monkey. I think how, like, if Gamera's design is, like, interesting, but let's be frank, clunky. The Gauss are great. Like yeah. the fact that their eyes were able to move around like that. So impressive. Like mm-hmm. really, really good design. Weird Google eyes in, in this one, but yeah. like the Google eyes of it almost gives them, I think like this weird, uh, it's like shark eyes or something almost. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And like, the scenes of them, like as the puppets, like gobbling down the the meat with their eyes rolling back, like fuck yeah, we love eating dead things, <laughs> right? God, yeah, so freaky. Just like the having to make all of that like fake meat to begin with, and just like lay it out on a baseball field, and just the shots of them flying in, like you can mm. tell. Obviously, yeah, it's like a physical object against like a projected background, but the the shots all look good. And I feel like if you are the kind of person who is hung up on like, oh, everything's CGI these days, like you have to put your money where your mouth is and go see how cool some of the weird stuff that people were coming up with to make these like larger than life spectacles were before that era, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the on the DVD, there's like a special feature like on the special effects. And it's like so when they're flying, the little flying shots, those big mm-hmm. clouds that they fly by are like 
thousands of cotton balls that they've pulled apart by hand and like glued together and like hung on wires. Oh, that's so cool. It's so cool. They'd have a room with like a giant, this would be like a MoMA art installation, Mm -hmm. right? They had to just make that for the dog fight shots. (laughs) And that's, what's neat. I like the craftsmanship of these things is something that I like. You don't see in American films that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it, you know, are, are the, are the Gauss, is it, is it John Carpenter, the thing? Like the literal pinnacle of practical effects? No. No. Yeah. You know, but You're, this isn't going to give anyone the kind of nightmares that like the peak practical effects kind of stuff can give you, but right. <laughs> it's still really good. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it makes me wonder like what, again, if you made one of these movies now and just like got someone who'd studied under Rick Baker or something mm-hmm. and been like, just make me a weird Uzi horror kaiju to fight Mm -hmm. we should probably talk about some of the other the political and like environmentalist implications because i I thought that was another area that felt like this is sort of the long legacy of the original godzilla movie is that these these creatures are ultimately powerful metaphors for you know humans relationship to nature Mm -hmm. you know like that's kind mm-hmm. of the fundamental theme here in, in, in kaiju movies, I feel like is like, how, how does man, man's changing technology, how does that affect nature and vice versa? And it's, it's very pointed in like exactly one scene and they wait a pretty long time to deliver the hammer bro- blow. But like essentially they're saying like, oh, well, why do these giant birds not show up until now? And it's like, well, we've now gotten to the point where our waste are like, you know, nuclear waste and pollution and stuff like that is creating the food for these creatures, mm-hmm. which I thought is a, a, a good expansion on the, the central like Godzilla is created by nuclear war theme, you know? Absolutely. And it is like, I think one of the, something that's like weakened this genre, especially the Godzilla series, but like in America, even the American remake, which I think is like weirdly kind of good. Like the 2014 one is like kind of good. I think uh-huh. it, it, there's um, some stuff there that I like for sure. I don't love it, but it's, it's good. Yeah. I, I that, and it's, I think you can't separate from like, you know, this movie was kind of like one that snuck past the goalie, right? Like mm-hmm. the studio was like trying to get back on their legs. They had this piece of IP. They gave it to a bunch of young guns who were from a different industry and kind of didn't have the leverage to be like, no, it's got to make a million dollars. Like they gave it like a shoestring budget. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's part of why Kaneko and, and company were like able to lean in to that. And like, it seems like any large spectacle movie now is like too, too in there's too much capitalism involved. I think to like lean into something that would make it, really really poignant yeah yeah i mean i know that apparently the newest jurassic park movie tried to do some of this kind of like capitalist critique but everyone that i know that has seen it says that movie is absolute dog shit so i can't can't believe that they did a very good job with it from from at least my non-viewers perspective i i will watch anything with laura dern 
Therefore, uh-huh. I'm sure eventually I will see the third Chris Pine Jurassic Park movie. But um, Chris you know, Pratt. That, Chris Pratt. Sorry. Yeah. Chris Pine is in the weirdly good Star Trek remake mm-hmm. that had two not good sequels. But yeah, I mean, that's the Jurassic Park is, is something that's like always tried to have like a capitalist critique in it. But also like what made that movie fundable was for the first time they could copyright dinosaurs and the toys would be worth enough by themselves to like sustain an entire franchise. Like, yeah, that is how Steven Spielberg got the money to to make the first Jurassic Park. Right. And and it's what's kept people going back to the well when obviously like first one's perfect. Like mm-hmm. everything you need out of that concept exists in the first movie. Like there, there never needed to be another one. Do you, do you think that Jurassic park might've been an influence on the like self replicating genes, uh, thing for the Gaios? the fact that they're all female, but actually they're just like sort of unisex organisms that like reproduce themselves. To me, that felt a lot like the, the way that, you know, you've got the sort of gender swapped dinosaur DNA in Jurassic Park is how like mm-hmm. life is able to find a way, as my uh, fellow Ian says in that film. <laughs> your fellow Ian. I love your fellow Ian. I love you, too. Thank um, you. You're welcome. Yeah, I think that's probably it, it's got to be hard to escape the shadow of Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. When you're making this this movie, which is funny because like the lost world is just a prolonged excuse for Steven Spielberg to try to do a Godzilla movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Like the only interesting part of that movie is like the T-Rex like stomping around San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. I remember seeing that like on TV as a kid and being like, oh, this looks cool. And then people being like, it's, it's, don't worry. Don't worry about that one. Yeah. Like that one. <laughs> yeah. You got to you got to wait through so much bullshit to get to this. Mm hmm. Never has people hanging off a cliff been so fucking boring. (laughs) God boggles the mind. Anyway. Yeah, I think obviously Jurassic Park cast a shadow on this. And it's sort of funny in one of those, Hey, say Godzilla movies. One of the one of actually, I think the weirdly better, but totally unhinged ones. Obviously Terminator two was like a big influence. Like, it has a it has an android and time uh-huh. travel and it's where you get mecha king Ghidorah. like it's gotcha very very yeah. very very fucky so like there's a long this is like an an intercontinental intercultural science fiction idea exchange you know i'm sure michael crichton was thinking about godzilla movies when he's like jurassic park yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, big dinosaur stomp people run. This works. Right. And uh, caused by human technology as well. Again, like that right. conflict between nature and and human technology. This movie also, I think, shares with God, with uh, Jurassic Park, like great 90s fashion. You know? Oh, my God. Right. The outfits. Yeah. The fits. The ornithologist's outfits are so good. She's dressing so well in this movie. <laughs> I really like like everything that uh every outfit that she had on. I thought looked great. Uh, there's that one woman who shows up a few times in like a weird like farmer hat and like giant apron and it's like wow, that looks like straight out of like Bushwick 2015. Someone with like a florist tattoo or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is was one of those? Is Gauss gonna go to Bushwick and like eat someone's fucking dog? 
Oh man. Uh, I re remake that scene in uh in 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 Bedford Stuyvesant. That's what needs sure. to happen. Yeah, well there's that's the funny thing, right? Is like are kaiju's an inherently Pacific Ocean phenomenon? Like, can you translate the kaiju into the Atlantic Ocean? Doesn't seem like it quite works the same way. I mean, arguably putting Godzilla in New York in the in the 1998 one was like the mistake, mm-hmm. right? Even right. though, even though weirdly, like that actually is compared to any of the other to, to many of the other Godzilla movies, that one is like more interested in like the nuclearness of right. of it all. Is like ah, nukes, spooky. Right. Uh, and I get like Cloverfield is like a good New York kaiju. I don't know if it's a yeah. good movie, but it's, you know, it's iconically very, very New York in, in pretty much every way you want to talk about. Yeah. Like hipsters in a kaiju movie. That's, that's Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's... quite literally indie sleaze kaiju film. <laughs> Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and like this movie for a half hour becomes uh, an eighties horror movie. Mm-hmm. And that, and that is like maybe the strongest part. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When the Cloverfield trailer first came out, it was funny. I, I there were like a few rogue people on the like joblo.com comment threads claiming they're like, JJ uh, Abrams has said at parties that he likes the Heisei Gamera trilogy. This may secretly be an American Gamera movie. That was like a weird <laughs> sub plot when like huh. the Cloverfield hype train was at its most thermonuclear. Right. Yeah, well, good choice of words there. <laughs> Intentional. <laughs> yeah. That I mean that was so much of the experience of like the thing that made Cloverfield clever and uh well we don't have to talk too much more about Cloverfield, but the thing that I think that movie did really well is that it it took that experience of the first part of a kaiju movie where you don't you haven't seen the monster yet and mm-hmm. turned that into its marketing campaign. Like it it took that feeling out of just the first chunk of the movie and made you feel that as a anticipatory thing so you had the same kind of experience as like the characters in a kaiju movie do uncovering Mm -hmm. bits and pieces and letting your imagination run wild before you actually get a good glimpse of it absolutely Uh, speaking of which true some great shots of like you know when gamera starts to wake up and you know he's thrown into the water and just the passing shot of like oh my god that's a a turtle's head the size fucking eye yeah like Good stuff. Really, really good stuff. There's well, that is all that is Shinji Higuchi. But maybe we should let's take a little break, and then I I, I would like to talk a little about some of the people involved because I think you're going to dig them. Cool. I will get some water. There are two two minor things that I'd like to to touch on before we go into the the production stuff, and both of them I, I would appreciate your perspective as a more seasoned kaiju fan to know whether okay, okay. I'm saying these things kind of. Over, maybe over assigning influence to this movie or uh, things that maybe are more common in the genre as a whole, or I, there are other precedents for one. I know we've talked about Pacific Rim a few times on this podcast. And even though I am a hater, I guess, or a, uh, a mild critic, a someone who wishes he liked that movie more than he did. Let's put it that way. Same, same. My, the one part that I absolutely love is the, like sub orbit sequence where they go up into space and there's the for my family with the sword. And you know, you said it before I could go on. And then they plunge back to earth. And while I was watching 
Gamera last night, you know, the big climactic fight scene. Where do they go? They go up into the clouds and then fall back down again for like a, you know, <laughs> Final Fantasy limit break style pile driver into the earth which i yes delightful but that's that that's where pacific rim got it from right like they're clearly that has to be it you know this is yeah it's a one-to-one it like down to and like in pacific rim the the hero robot does it but like down to cutting it's like it's such a brutal fucking fight but like i think maybe if you're if you only watch this once listeners maybe missed it but like what happens is like gamera's got gauss's like foot in its mouth and gauss mm-hmm. like swings him up into the upper atmosphere to where his like jets stop working because there isn't enough oxygen then laser beams off its own foot yeah so he so can't brutal. hold on and then drops and like a similar thing happens in pacific rim with the the sword mm-hmm where they like they cut the like dragon monster or whatever like in half and they're like oh well we're stuck <laughs> falling to our probable doom yes that's exactly where they got it from and and Godzilla King of the Monsters the American one does it also like this is now like a thing that has been redone that does start with this movie okay gotcha that's cool to know the other thing i was thinking about how no like this it seems like every kaiju movie that i've seen involves every japanese kaiju movie inevitably at one point we'll have to reference the fact that japan does not have a military you know and talking about exactly under which circumstances the you know japanese self-defense force can operate and which ones it cannot the bureaucracy of that seems to be baked into the genre in one way or another, because there's a long stretch of inactivity from the government in this movie because of the red tape around exactly how and to what purpose the Japanese can use military force. Yeah. And that seems like something that is specific to it. It just me to me. It shows that like this genre cannot exist in any other circumstances other than post-World War II, you know? It's, yeah. it's it is and, like and, purely a result of that moment in history. And and arguably why the tone is always different when Americans do giant monster movies because there's never any doubt in like an American mind that like there is a weapon the US Army has that will work sooner or later. Right. Yeah, we'll just have to go through the Rolodex right. and we'll find something, you know. <laughs> well, it's so it's sort of interesting, right? Like you you were talking about a kaiju thing, but we've looped back to the like the politics of the movie and like and also the budget, right? So like mm-hmm. at this time Toho's Godzilla movies at the time like depict the SDF as like like the Power Rangers. Like they have weird they have freeze rays they've got all kinds of stuff like oh it's just the jsdf but they're they're on some star trek shit Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they never really show the military as it is right and and my understanding is that was sort of like to avoid criticism or like toho is a is a very like plays both sides of the political aisle republicans buy shoes too kind of thing yeah Mm -hmm, exactly one of the things that made the budget for this movie go farther is Dae went to the JSDF and said, you want to do some drills with some like real fucking guns, you know, look cool. And the JSDF was like, 
Hell yes. Wow. We would love. So that's how like all the B roll is like weirdly good. And apparently it was during like the organizing of that Ito had like a conversation with like their communique person at the JSDF who was like, you can't put this, you can't put this by like the, in the first attack scene. Why? Mm-hmm. You're like, well, because we're not allowed to open fire until someone else open fires, opens fire first, right? And they, that was when Ito realized that's a really good like plot device. Yeah, I'm yeah, it helps build it. the tension. Yeah, it does. But my understanding is like Kaneko's not like a conservative guy. He's not super into the military. And mm-hmm. again, foreshadowing, there's way more military stuff in two and i i guess now that he's like done with kaiju movies it seems like kaneko like kind of regrets that he like did that like he he looks back on this movie in kind of like a mixed way he's like i didn't really mean to make like a like one of those god smack navy commercials (laughs) sure yeah yeah that's it's tough that's interesting that like you know, because I, I just saw the new Top Gun movie, for example, and oh, my God. OK, please continue. <laughs> and I, you know, obviously that movie would not exist without copious amounts of money from the U.S. military, but also a very weird workaround to avoid openly antagonizing any of America's potential enemies <laughs> you know you can read a lot about the anxieties of the american military into the way that they choose to try and positively represent themselves in uh in in top gun maverick but just to say that i i had never considered uh somewhat foolishly on my end that other countries militaries also fund blockbusters within their own nations you know i i had never considered the the JSDF helping make kaiju movies look more realistic outside of stuff that's more explicitly political, like say Shin Godzilla. Um, so that I, I didn't, I didn't expect to learn that today. So thank you for that. You're welcome. It gets, it gets even more, ah, God, in the second one, it gets even more convoluted. Hell yeah. I'm I'm excited to hear that. But, uh, yeah, you had some, uh, you wanted to talk a bit about who's behind, some of the stuff that's going on in this movie. So by all means. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, so you were talking about Shinji Higuchi. Well, those miniature scenes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The shot of like Gamera's head, et cetera. And like, to me, a lot of the indelible shots of this movie are like the eggs falling off of Tokyo tower when they actually yeah. managed it. The, the JSDF at one point in time manages to competently do a single thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. For all the talk about this being like funded by the military, the military do not come across looking particularly good <laughs> or competent. <laughs> no. So Mahiro Maeda. Mm-hmm. Mahiro Maeda is one of the dudes that Shinji Higuchi brought with him over from, from Gainax. Gotcha. Okay. To, to do this movie from he's an assistant character designer on Evangelion and he did a lot of the monster designs for this movie. Gotcha. Okay. He, he went on to get, so get, get this. He went on to do not only the, the rebuilds, 
but to be a production designer on Mad Max Fury Road? No shit. No shit. Wow, that rules. So this is a guy that worked in with Guy in Gynax when Evan Galeon was in production mm-hmm. and then also worked on Mad Max Fury Road. Like what are the goddamn odds? That rules. <laughs> And, and the, and like the thing that gets him into live action is he also worked in the art department on Shin Godzilla is uh-huh. working on, is working on this movie gotcha. and trying to bring some of that, like Ava flavor to the Kaiju mm-hmm. specifically Gauss. And so this is sort of, this is sort of like a weird, a weird fucking thing because the Avas were thin. They wanted the Gauss suit to be thin. Uh-huh. So less of the big, chunky 80s Godzilla look that you were describing before and something sleeker. And so what's weird is that the suit's so thin that this is the first time that there were no men that could fit in the Gauss suit. So the first woman to play a kaiju stunt actor played Gauss in this movie. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's really cool. Yeah, I know. Which is weird because, like, I mean, I think the fandom does, like, weird things with this, but, like, Gauss is canonically a she. Right. Like, Gauss, is, Gauss is pronouns or she, her. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In the lore prior to this movie and also, like, during this movie, right? So, like, there's, like, weird fan discourse about, like, eh, they needed a girl to play a girl. Fuck you. Right. It's a, gi- it's a giant rubber bird. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Practi- practical requirements aside, it's, it, you, you don't have to get too serious about it. <laughs> you know. Th- that said, the, the Gauss suit apparently was not, did not work very well. And that's part of why they did so much like puppet stuff and so mm-hmm. much miniature stuff that wound up being a strength is like they could like they couldn't make like the man in suit punching each other part look great. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it is kind of like, you know, my experience. A lot of the the Godzilla are the, those the Godzilla movies are almost like wrestling movies. A lot of the time, there's a lot of like grappling and tussling and throwing each other around. Whereas the action is kind of short and decisive in in these, except all of the you know high flying, puppeteering sort of stuff, which obviously has a different flavor. But that does right. give the whole feel of the action a, com- a completely different dimension than just two two big you know slow chunky things stomping around mm-hmm. it's and i think that that's also part of like what just like this just pops differently mm-hmm. like its sensibility is just not like a godzilla movie's sensibility even though like it's obviously like in the in the same conversation but i think maybe that's part of like why it has this like real heads no vibe yeah, yeah to yeah, it yeah. And it's this weird, this strange fucking movie is this keystone to like a lot of popular culture. I mean, my dad, he went, he went on to do Kill Bill. He was Mm -hmm. in the animation department for, for like Kill Bill. So like he worked with fucking Tarantino, this guy. I bet Tarantino's seen this fucking movie. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. What do you, what do you say about that? It's so fucking weird. And I know we're... as great as this movie is, it does feel like a little bit like we're maybe running out of steam of things to say about it beyond, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it and we haven't sold you, I know it's a goofy fucking fire breathing turtle movie, but it's like weirdly fucking good. Yeah. Um, not only is it good, but I think, you know, 
there's the two sort of approaches to getting into a genre is you can either go for all of the biggest possible names, but, and like watch the, the, the most famous things in that genre. And that will give you a view of the genre, but one that I think, um, is maybe limited to a bunch of exceptions to the rule. Like consider if you're the kind of person that has only seen the first Godzilla movie, this movie will give you a very different perspective on what a kaiju movie is and is capable of that is both like respectful and carries on the original tradition while obviously doing something wildly different in a lot of other ways yeah absolutely absolutely but since we are we are fucking music dorks Mm -hmm. i did think i want to bring up bring up one one thing about this my dude ko otani is the, to compose the music for this movie mm-hmm. and he's a he's a mensch and after after hearing how much you you loved all the music in all satoshi Kon's movies another film not franchise or film series but like a film oeuvre scored by a prog rock guy oh interesting cool all right <laughs> right kotani was a like slumming it around Tokyo, like intellectual rock musician guy. Uh-huh. Not long before he did this, he did this movie. Um, I don't. This isn't his first soundtrack, but he did. He did come from. He did come from anime. He's like another dude that he's another like dude from the anime scene mm-hmm. that Ito brought into this production. So he did, he did, uh, the, he was the composer for City Hunter in the 80s, which is like not like my thing, but whatever. But uh, this is another uh, crossover with uh, Toonami Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, if the thing you remember about that first year in Toonami is the Gundam Wings soundtrack, that's the other thing Otani was wow. doing when he was making this movie. Wow, that's... Man, it just, you know, goes like over and over again. One of the things that I feel like we've really learned in this last season and then into the now into the Patreon stuff is just how tightly knit all this stuff is, you know, like how interconnected all of these different forms of filmmaking are like the fact that we can draw this like Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation from Gundam Wing to Mad Max Fury Road it's just like unbelievable to me. It's so cool. Like the fact that all these like interesting creative people are just like being reshuffled around and working on all this different stuff together. It's exciting. It's invigorating. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the coffee has kicked in, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the coffee has kicked in one, one last thing about Atani before we, before we go off. him, even though like I, I do fucking love the guy. Mm-hmm. He was not, uh, he also did shadow the Colossus. Ew. Interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing to think about, like how much of Shadow of the Colossus is also kind of building on kaiju tropes. I might have to mull on that for a bit. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something there. I think in the way that like Shadow of the Colossus is like a love letter to and referendum on Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. I I think this movie in particular, but the Heisei Gamera trilogy occupy a similar space mm-hmm. like in the, in the Kaiju oeuvre of the, like, let's get some, let's get some people who like, don't just like do this all the time and maybe aren't like jaded by it in the same way. Right. Aren't and, do, aren't and, approaching it cynically. Aren't like 
have a fresh perspective on it and maybe a bit of distance to allow themselves to say something new on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is, which is kind of sad because like, it, frankly, I think the person who gets the shortest shift from this movie is probably Kaneko because he, he went on to finally get to do a Godzilla movie after this. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's not as good as these ones. And then after that, he had this like sort of wild and woolly career up until these movies. And I, I think these are the things he's most well known for, but he seems to just sort of become a guy who adapts manga. Like huh. the, the anime-ness of it sort of follows him. So like the things he's most known for after the Gamera trilogy are the two live action death note movies in Japan. Oh, Oh, interesting. Huh? Weird. Yeah. Right. I guess it's like once you if you get your foot in the door through some connections with anime people and if that helps make your career, you do kind of get stuck with that uh, that connection going forward. Although maybe he's happy about it. Who can say? I haven't seen these Death Note movies. I'm sure he had a good time making them. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, I I, if there's anything I can get out of if I can like put into the universe with this bonus episode of a very modest podcast. It's this, I think this director, and I'm going to make this point again when we're at the end of this trilogy. Um, I think this director like deserves a, a serious, like cr- critical appraisal in, in the West mm-hmm. um, next to like the original run of Godzilla movies, like the Kaiju movies that most deserve to be in the criterion collection are these gotcha. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe, and maybe Dimogen and like, you know, as I said, Dimogen's very Janice filmsy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely down to watch the next two of these. Uh, I don't know how much like preamble we want to give to those since I haven't seen them yet, but if there's anything you want to, kind of close off on this anything any lingering threads before we call it a day and gear up for gamera 2 no if you if you love the anime bullshitness of this one and you want like even fucking better like critter effects you're in for a fucking treat hell yeah (laughs) and more psychic girls hell yeah (laughs) and more teenagers with like weird relationships to dudes in suits. What, what is the subtext? I don't, I don't exactly, I don't exactly know. Fans say when, when I, when I first got into this movie, fans said the second one, the one that you're about to see in is the best mm-hmm. one. I don't know if that's still the opinion. I think this one's actually aged weirdly, weirdly well, but that might be because like, the environmentalist subtext has only become like more prescient, right? Like totally it hits darker now than it used to. Weirdly enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean like the, the sort of implied metaphor of, you know, the chickens coming home to roost is, uh, it only, oh it, it only feels more dire over time. Right? <laughs> the gauss are coming home to roost. Yeah. <laughs> we are so, we're so fucked. Um, we're fucked. So let's talk about monster movies. Exactly. Because it's easier than talking about anything else. Um, (laughs) Well, I've had fun talking about this monster movie. I don't have too much left in the tank for this one. But um, yeah, good movie. Glad that you you finally forced me to to put my money where my mouth is and actually acknowledge that Gamera is a pretty cool dude, all things considered. (laughs) 
it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for letting me put this turtle in your head rent free. <laughs> oh, am I not turtly enough for you? Camera says to Ian. <laughs> turtle turtles. <Tusks. laughs> All right, catch you later. <laughs> See you.